for the word of the Lord. Thank you, Peggy, and apologies for that glitch of our reading of the Psalms. Come and see and go and tell. These are the, what the angel said to the women who gathered. Come and see, investigate, explore, and go and tell. Each of the narratives that we have recorded for the, uh, those who encountered the risen Jesus has a distinctive shape to it, a different uh, characteristic. This year we've been following Matthew's Gospel and Matthew tends to adopt a style of, uh, of writing that highlights the cosmic nature of the events, of something that has changed things dramatically. He uses a very apocalyptic language to describe this moment. As we um, experience Easter Day, I find words aren't adequate to try and convey just how profound and how deep it is. It's a bit like when you hope to go to visit somewhere that's um, high in your bucket list. Maybe you've been to, uh, want to go and see Big Ben in London or you want to go and see somewhere. And when you actually get to that moment, whatever that moment may be, it could be an event, it could be an experience of some description. I almost wish you could have a pause button on life just to be able to breathe deeply and just try and absorb the moment. Of course, life doesn't come like that. But on Easter Day, it's more about trying to enter into something that is enormous. Our, our heads just are inadequate. It's not just some information that we seek to process. It's a whole new dimension to life that absorbs us and draws us into it. Biblical time is divided between before the resurrection and after the resurrection. Life before the resurrection is a life of promise, of hope, of yearning. And life after the resurrection is the harvest. It is the fulfillment of those promises. Life is never the same again. Something of that experience may be what you experience after a storm may have come. You know, when you may have had a, a week of storms or you may have had a, a night of storm and you come out in the morning and the storm has passed. Not sure our present storms have passed, by the way. I think the week head's still looking a bit stormy, but this morning it was that case. I could hear the birds. I could hear our dogs saying, it's light, it's time I'm up. But you come out in a sense of the new day and that times a hundred, times a thousand is something of what Easter Day represented in the life of the church and the first witnesses of it. In Nelson, in top of the South Island in New Zealand, there's a lovely beach called Dahunanui Beach. The word is a Maori word. It means big stand. And it actually, at low tide, has a lovely long sand spit. To the right of the screen, you can see how it goes out. And you can walk for about a quarter of an hour 
John and Fiona and I and our dogs would love to do that walk on to Hunanui Beach. And you think it's always been there, but actually it's not the case. If you read some of the early Māori accounts of life in the area, they talk about the mudflats that separated Nelson and Motueka, the other side of Tasman Bay. The early settlers who, who came and uh, settled in the area in the 1830s, the same time as Adelaide. In fact, it was exactly the same company that set up Adelaide, set up Nelson at the same time. And they describe how between the early village that they set up in Nelson and across the, the area was all mud flats. It was only in the 1870s, after a series of storms and one really big storm, that they came out after the storm and discovered that all the different tributaries that had gone through the mudflats had been drawn into a new river. The Waimea River, it's what you see at the top of the screen, didn't exist until after that storm. And even after the recent floods, it's actually gone back to being what, it, what you see now. And it's almost like Easter is a time in which all the different tributaries of our gospel hopes and promises have now emerged into a new stream, a new river. And it has changed the landscape of our faith and of our view of life. Something of that is what's reflected in the, uh, the reversal. You know, the, 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 some stories you know when they're going really well, if you're reading it in a book or whether you're viewing it in a, um, on TV or a movie, if you know things are going swimmingly well, what do you suspect is about to happen? Some sort of disaster. You know, it's not going to last. Sometimes we observe storylines and people are making choices and decisions. It may be a fiction or it may be in our own life, in our own family, amongst our neighbours. And you just have a sense, this is going to end in tears. The gospel narrative is the other way around. It starts in tears. It ends in joy. Psalm 125, sorry, was it 126? Psalm 126. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. At times I think Anglicans are better at Lent. You know, the austerity at Lent and some of the things we do without and we like to go through the solemnness of Holy Week. And it is good to be still and to be reflected in that space. But I don't think we do Easter as well as we do Lent. Easter should be a time of abundance. It should be a time of uh, reaping the harvest of joy. Now, it could be because the clergy at this stage, of having done all the services, are feeling a little bit tired. But let that not hinder us from the celebration of the joy of Easter, the life, the creativity, the vitality that is released. The various accounts give us uh, different descriptions of those who encountered Jesus on that amazing morning. Now, as a, someone trained in ancient history and using the disciplines of ancient history, I've never had a problem of accepting the different accounts that we receive of 
what happened in that morning. They're not all exactly the same. There's some differences, whether they're one angel or whether they're two, or different encounters. Actually, that adds to the testimony, the strength of the traditions that we are working with. Those have been a background as teachers. If you receive an assignment, some homework from one of your pupils, and they go for the assignment, and you think, oh, that's all well and good, um, I'll give it a, quite a good mark. Then you receive the next assignment and it's almost word for word the same. And the next assignment, you were probably suspecting at this stage someone's copying from someone. <laughs> There's some collusion going on. Well, these days it's probably they would have used this new AI app or use the same app to say, give me an essay on whatever. The very fact that we have some d- divergent perspectives and experiences and recollections actually, from a historical point of view, adds to the credibility because it means it's coming from multiple sources. Now, it helps to understand a little bit why that is the case because on that morning, the various pockets of disciples were living in different parts of Jerusalem. Some had gone back to the upper room where the meal had occurred. Others had gone back to, to uh, uh, mental blank. Bethany, thank you. Gone back to Bethany, two miles out of Jerusalem, and had to travel a different direction. So different groups came and investigated across that morning. Some of them crossed paths, others went back and got others involved. That's why we have a variety of experiences, because they were coming from different groupings and directions. I actually love one characteristic of Matthew's description, that after the women had come to the grave, they came with their ointments. That's the equivalent of bringing flowers. So It's a sign of gesture of respect as you come to the graveside. They brought ointments to try and anoint the body of Jesus, and they discovered the, uh, the tomb was open. They eventually do encounter, in Matthew's Gospel, the risen Jesus as they were walking back. What I like about Matthew, he has a very down-to-earth way of making that spectacular moment when they encounter the risen Jesus. Matthew says, and as they're walking, Jesus appeared on the road as well and said, G'day. That's how Matthew records it. Morning. Wow. <laughs> and they're astonished to encounter, having encountered the risen Jesus. That's one of Matthew's little characteristic things. So we know the women came. Um, different groups of women came at different times on that morning. Two Marys in Matthew's Gospel, Mary um, Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and John. One of the Marys was invited to come in to the tomb and to see. And amongst all the different accounts, what emerged is quite consistent. The tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. No one witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. No one was in the tomb at the moment that Jesus, his physical body, started to breathe again and came alive. That was a sacred moment. We don't know what stage it happened. No one actually witnessed Jesus exiting the tomb. But they all saw an empty tomb. 
and the stone rolled away. That is reliable historical evidence because we're told that in an effort to disprove these growing stories that were emerging of Jesus being found alive again and his, uh, his followers being animated and gathering together, the authorities sent people to investigate. They wanted to know, was, the, was it the wrong tomb? No, it's the right tomb. Had someone buried the body? Well, they're not going around as though they buried the body. They're talking about multiple people of actually having seen the risen Jesus. In fact, the testimony tells us that over 500 people, about 550 people on about a dozen different occasions encountered Jesus. They were those who were believers, those who had trusted and committed themselves to the hope that on the third day he would be raised again. They couldn't believe the promises, but now they experienced the reality. You had a court of law and you could produce that many witnesses from different areas and different stories and saying he wasn't an apparition, he wasn't a ghost. We touched his hand, we ate a, ate a meal with him. They were so convinced that this dispirited, fearful group huddled away behind locked stores emerged as a group whose lives were transformed. They had a confidence. They had a boldness. They had a, an energy to tell the story. And they literally dedicated their lives and gave their lives to telling that story. So we can look at that and we could, part of our minds could rationalise it and work it through. But it needs to go beyond just that question. Mind you, if you wanted to try and disprove that story there have been many attempts in fact there's probably been no event that has been more investigated in history there's one renowned example of a skeptic whose uh, name as a journalist was frank morrison in the early 20th century set out to write a book to disprove the uh, the evidence for the resurrection he got halfway through his book trying to disprove it until he was convinced by the evidence and he became a believer. He wrote his book, Who Moved the Stone? It's one of those classic pieces. There have been others, lawyers and others, who have worked through the evidence and said, look, the most credible explanation we have is that he was seen, risen. Any other explanation defies credibility. But entering into that, one feature that we see in Matthew, and it's actually there in the other Gospels, it's often overlooked, but it is a very significant one. We start our cry on Easter Day traditionally with Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that is the phrase that is used um, at a few places elsewhere in Scripture. So it's a good phrase. But actually it is not the phrase we see in the Gospel accounts. The Gospel account, as we see it here in Matthew, do not be afraid. I know that you are seeking Jesus, the crucified. He is not here, for he has been saved. Technically, it's a form of the passive. Jesus was raised by God the Father. That is actually a very significant note because Jesus, for all his teachings and his promises and the statements he made, and the worldview he opened up, the kingdom that he spoke about, 
If it was just words or wishful thinking or aspiration, that would have been the end of it. The fact is that the Father raised Jesus brings the authority of God in and through everything that Jesus said and did and promised. God's stamp of validation, of vindication, is clearly on the life and the death and the ministry of Jesus through his resurrection. That's why in our Apostles' Creed, in the Nicene Creed, has the same thing. The first half of the steps of Jesus taking human form, living as a, as a human, suffering under Pontius Pilate, was died and was buried. And that's halfway through the creed because that is the turning point. Every line in the creed then goes through the glorification of Jesus as he was raised and then he was drawn into glory by the Father. He has been raised is God's massive tick of yes to everything about the life of Jesus. So where does that take us? We see in these stories the birth of something new, the birth of the way, which became the the first name for the followers of Jesus. Picked up, no doubt, because of that saying of Jesus, I am the way, the truth and the life. Those who follow me, those who believe in me. So the movement became known as the way. And it continues to grow now, 2,000 years later, covering every continent and every corner of the world. As we gather this morning, we gather in the company of others throughout this city, throughout Australia, throughout the world, there are millions proclaiming the same message and reflecting In fact, we're told it is throughout the ages that we find ourselves in the company of this movement. But where does it take us? The angel in Matthew's account said to the woman, come and see, come and investigate, observe it, but then go and tell. This is not something just to keep to yourself. This is a truth that is so life-changing. It has to be demonstrated by the way in which we go about life. It is in Matthew's Gospel that the end of the chapter, chapter 28, of course, has the Great Commission. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the, the mission work of the church that we enter into. As I've prepared... And with many of you journeyed through our readings and our remembrance of Palm Sunday and the Palms last week, of Thursday night as some of us gathered for the Passover supper, remembrance that Jesus turned that into a a remarkable, this is my blood, this is my body. The Good Friday, the horror, the ugliness of the cross, But knowing it in and through that, this was a work that was necessary to the mission of God to to take on and not to retaliate, yet to prevail. I've been drawn back to this verse, I know whom I have believed. Not because I believe, 
But the one that I believe is the one who changes it all. So where does that take us? It's an invitation. An invitation to continue to live into that new day, into that new space, into that new life and the opportunities it brings. The sunrise that we enter is a whole period of history that commenced with the resurrection and continues to the present time. The sunrise that comes through the sun rising is that invitation to recognise that wherever we find ourselves, there is a newness of life before us. Whatever our experience of life brings, and we're told that it will involve tears, it will involve grief and suffering and hardship, but in and through those tears there is joy and there is light ahead of us. As we grieve for those who have gone before us, there is the hope of reunion. Where we go through the dark valleys and it can be so difficult, there is light at the end of that pathway. In fact, the great biblical example, it's a powerful piece of theology, but it's so beautifully expressed that the cosmic God of the universe who created this world is moving us from tears to a space where every tear will be wiped away by God himself. I can't think of a more gentle image of a parent wiping away the tears of a child. And that is the hope that we have before us. This is the day where death died where darkness and evil and corruption and weakness and betrayal could not prevail. And the fullness of the kingdom, the harvest of righteousness, is now at work. And we are invited to take our place amongst those people who identify in that wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Risen indeed. Amen.